welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. And I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. I have an interesting story to tell you. Okay. It's called The Story of the Circleville Letters. All right. Okay, so in 1976, the citizens of a small town called Circleville in Ohio, population about 14,000, they started to receive strange letters in the mail. These letters contained no return address, but they were postmarked from nearby Columbus, and they were written in, uh, they were were handwritten in uppercase block-style script and had various misspellings throughout the letter. The letters were very personal in nature and accusatory of the recipient. But the letters were mostly pointed towards the school district superintendent, Gordon Massey. The first letters were sent to him and the school board, accusing Massey of inappropriate relationships with female school bus drivers. (gasps) Gordon Assey. (laughs) The letter is difficult to read due to the photocopying, but some of the things included are, Dear Sir, According to my girlfriend, you have been asked you have asked her to go out many times and have asked other bus drivers too this must stop at once i suggest you find yourself a pimple-faced whore and start up with her and leave my girls alone so only like as far as like his accusation it was only bus drivers like it wasn't teachers substitutes like just bus drivers it appears to be bus drivers specifically in the letters that i i found Hmm. another recipient of the letters was a woman named mary uh, gillespie mary gillespie who is one of these bus drivers and her letter uh, started with stay away from massey the letters continued don't lie when questioned about knowing him i know where you live I've been observing your house and know you have children. <gasps> this is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. What the fuck? So this accusation of an affair or improper relationship between her and Massey uh, that the writer is telling her had been aired to everyone concerned. Uh, she was married at the time to a man named Ron So she decided to keep the letter a secret, but she would receive more letters. Letters would continue and state this. I know everything. Call the sheriff. He can't watch you forever. And then they write what I believe is Mary's bus route and bus number. Oh, you can't do that. I shall keep ringing again. This is no joke. So what was the aim of these letters like were they asking for money was it like some kind of blackmail like asking for favors or is it just like i am just harassing you for the sake of it it seems to be to air this uh relationship that massey was having and to probably cause it to stop because as you'll see um more letters are sent with more specific requests. Okay. One request in in particular, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Okay. So she was not the only one living in fear of an accusation of infidelity, but also feared that she and her family were being watched. Eventually, Ron himself received a letter from the mysterious sender. (laughs) Mr. Gillespie, your wife is seeing Gordon Massey. 
You should catch them together and kill them both. (gasps) He does not deserve to live. Oh my God. He continued to receive letters demanding that he and his wife, or that he stops his wife's affair with Massey, and if he did not, his life would be in danger. Is there a Mrs. Massey? Uh, Yes, there was. Mm. They did divorce. I believe it was... Um, I believe it was around the time that the letters started were starting. Hmm. But I know that he was a family man. They had children. Mm-hmm. But they were divorced as this uh, scenario played out. But it is possible the calls are coming from inside the house. Well... There are some details. We'll, we'll, we'll get into okay, the people who. Sorry. We'll get into the people who are being who were uh, suspected okay. of being the writer. Okay. So, another letter that she received was, I know. Or sorry, uh, this was Ron. Mm-hmm. Ron's letters now. Okay. We know what kind of car you drive. We know where your kids go to school. <laughs> so the Gillespies tried to ignore these threats, and go about their lives. But uh, gossip mongers were, you know, forming around this around the uh, the town because a lot of people were receiving these letters that were airing all of these uh, these these accusations mm-hmm. of infidelity. And then came another letter. This one read the following: To Ron. This is to Ron. Okay. Gillespie, you have had two weeks and done nothing. You are a pig defender. You are also a pig. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CBS, posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. And the truth that this person's referring to is just that Massey is having an affair. Yes. With this lady. So far, yes. Okay. Now, the couple were convinced that they had to make an active response because mm. the these were becoming, and they had been for several weeks, direct threats to their livelihood and threats towards their children. Mm-hmm. Although they didn't specifically say, we're going to kill your children. They were saying, we know you have children. We know where they go to school. Can you imagine if we got something in the mail that was like, I know where your kid goes to school. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's very scary. And especially it's, because uh, there was no return address. Uh huh. So they had a few. They they had a few um, close family members that knew about the letters. Ron's sister Karen, Ron's brother-in-law Paul, and Paul's sister. So Mary's suspicions laid on a man named David Longberry, a colleague of hers who had a romantic interest in her, mm. and Mary had rejected. Hmm. So he was a fellow bus driver. Okay. Uh, and and it's thought that because he was a bus driver, he would know that Massey was, you know, stalking the other female bus drivers, looking for a date, mm-hmm. making inappropriate comments, and having inappropriate relationships because he was one of them. Right. Okay. Not one of the ones being hit on. But one, <laughs> but, but well, one of the ones who maybe. would possibly know. There's a lot we don't know about Massey. So the um, the family members decided to write four or five letters to David stating that they knew who he was and what he was doing. Their plans seemed to work. The letters did stop for a few weeks. Oh. However, things did start up again. And let me tell you, I don't exaggerate 
when I say that things went to 11. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, God. Large signs began to appear <gasps> all around town about Mary's daughter. Oh. Who was 12. Oh, no. Having sexual relations with Gordon Massey. Uh, uh, there were so many signs that Ron would wake up early in the morning before work and try to remove as many signs as he could find around town. So, I, uh, okay. So, the same... <laughs> So, Massey is allegedly having an affair with the mom and her 12-year-old daughter. These are the accusations. This is... It It just... I don't know. To me, if I was trying to blackmail somebody and I was going to whip out, this guy is a child rapist, I probably would lead with that in my threats rather than, like, holding off and, like, mm, I'll mention a consenting adult in the letters but I'm really, I'm just, I'm going to ruin a kid's life when it comes to making the signs. You see, you know what I mean? Well, clearly like, things are getting out of control. He's, he's escalating mm-hmm. the, um, the threatening language to the family. <sighs> but so yeah. far has not actually made any type of physical attack. Right. But it is becoming very invasive. Mm-hmm. Then on August 19th, 1977, Ron received a phone call. He became so enraged that he grabbed his revolver and left, telling his daughter that it was the writer (gasps) who had called him. Oh, no. So we don't know what was actually said during the conversation. All we know is that he drove off into the night and his truck was found later that night, crashed into a tree with Ron's body inside. (gasps) Oh, my God. He had died of internal injuries sustained by the crash as he was not wearing a seatbelt. Oh, for goof's sake. Okay. An investigation was launched with everyone, including the sheriff, believing that it was murder, considering Mm. the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, Ron's life had been clearly threatened by this writer, and we know that the writer had just called him before he left the house. Oh, my God. Also, police found that one round of his revolver had been fired (gasps) between the time he left the house and his body being found. Oh, my God. However, Ron's blood alcohol level was found to be very high. They also investigated and eliminated at least one suspect in the case. So the coroner and the sheriff eventually decided that this must have been just an accident caused by drunk driving. Which, sure, but then what about the bullet? Yeah, the bullet is a piece of evidence that, as far as I know, had no explanation. I'm trying to, and maybe this wasn't a thing, but like... Back in the 70s, I don't know, would they have tested, like, his hands for gunshot residue? Like, maybe somebody else fired the gun or nothing there? No, it's not. Well, because there was no gunshot wound. Right. It wasn't considered to be as big of a deal. Like, maybe not relevant. Not as relevant as the Mm. fact that he had crashed his car and had a blood alcohol content twice the legal limit (laughs) and that might not have even been technology they had at the time i don't know when they started testing for that Mm. well obviously not many people were satisfied with this conclusion most surprisingly among these was the circleville writer himself oh was unhappy (laughs) after ron's death was blamed on an accident residents began to receive the anonymous letters again accusing sheriff radcliffe of covering up the truth about ron's death and so they, now other people are like just random people or is it still bus drivers getting the letters? No, everyone has been getting the letters the whole time. Everyone in town? Almost everyone in town. Uh, okay. M- many, many, many people in town have been receiving these letters the whole time. 
what the world? Yes. All about this one wife? Or, or is Massey being accused of having affairs with like every recipient? No, 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 no. Just the bus drivers? Or just this one bus driver? Well, I don't have all of the letters available. Right. So I don't know how many accusations were made. Okay. But I know that the majority of his accusations were regarding Massey and Gillespie. Okay. That's just weird. Um, so the letters were accusing Sheriff Radcliffe of covering up the truth of Ron's death <laughs> and accusing the coroner of sexually abusing children. What the? W- so oh. he was going after. So he was going after everyone, um, accusing of this cover up. It's also worth noting that the sheriff was also running for the um, president of the National Sheriff's Association. So this is one theory as to why the investigation turned from foul play to accidental so abruptly. Uh, Ron's brother-in-law, Paul, was also working to prove Ron was murdered and filed a report requesting that the FBI investigate. How'd that go? Well, we'll find out. (laughs) The letters continued to be sent after Ron's death uh, to Mary and other residents of Circleville. Um, also, newspapers, schools, local businesses, local politicians, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> the letters continued to share personal information with vulgarity and threatening language uh, that some of my sources clarified was even more unhinged after Ron's death. Huh. Now, this is part of the story where Mary, <laughs> she actually admits to a relationship with Gordon Massey. Oh, my God. However, she said that at the time uh, that the, the, the relationship began after the letters were sent and Ma'am. after her husband had died. But it isn't clarified um, if this was a story that they claim up that, that they came up with to um, you know hide the illicit relationship right. until it was okay to to become public mm-hmm. or if it was um, the the way it was always was. Yeah. Um, Which is, well, we've heard the idea so many times now. It kind of grew on me. Yeah. It it could be that the false accusation actually caused them to become close Mm. together. Mm -hmm. Or this was the the time to bring it up. Right. After Ron was dead. Woof. It isn't clear. Yeah. And they they haven't talked. So we can only speculate regarding that. So we're actually going to jump ahead now. To February 1983. Oh, my. So this is six years after Ron died. Right. Um, the letters are still being sent during this time. Consistently for six years? It doesn't say if it's consistent or not, but they are still being sent. Okay. So Mary is still working as a bus driver. And one morning, um, that February, she notices a sign on her route. Now, if you remember, Ron had been removing signs that... Uh, we believe the Circleville letter mm-hmm. writer had been uh, putting up around town. Yeah. Well, this was a similar sign that had just started to appear again. It was a handwritten sign, and it was again accusing um, relations between Massey and Mary's daughter, just like the old ones. So this threw Mary into a fury. Yeah. She pulled the bus over, walked to the sign, and ripped the sign off the post. But when she did this, she noticed that there was 
a on, on the back of the sign there was a wooden box attached to the sign with the string attached to it so she went back to the bus and opened the box probably not a good idea to open a yeah. mysterious box inside a bus full of children i wouldn't but she did and inside she found a loaded pistol oh good it, it was a crude a, it was a crudely made booby trap that was designed so if someone were to remove the sign uh the string would activate the trigger and fire at the person oh my god but somehow either Mary's removal did not activate the trap in the way it was designed, or it was just not prepared very well. Right. So she took this to the police, and they saw that someone had tried to remove the serial number from the gun. <laughs> but they did it very poorly because police <laughs> were able to identify it and trace it back to its owner. Oh. The owner was Paul Freshour, Ron's brother-in-law. What the world? Police went to Paul and asked if this was his gun. And Paul said, yes, it did appear to be his gun, the gun that he had stolen from him weeks ago. Oh, my God. He denied setting the trap and denied writing the letters. But the police were not convinced because he didn't report the gun missing in the first place. Uh -huh. So they had him uh, perform a handwriting test and take a polygraph test. Now, the handwriting test performed here is a point of a lot of contention because usually investigators will ask a suspect to write something and their handwriting will be compared. Right. But here, Paul was asked to specifically copy the handwriting of the envelope. Oh, what? And then copy the handwriting of the letter themselves. That's bizarre. After that, the uh, detective then dictated parts of the letter, of a letter to Paul, and then to write in the style of the letters previously. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't copying by sight, but he was still instructed to write in that style. Right. Paul said that he went through this because he knew he was innocent. But as I said, this is not how handwriting tests are normally done. It is absolutely not how they're normally done. So after this, the police officer and Paul went to his house where Paul showed him the place in the garage where his pistol had been kept before it was stolen. Then they left and went back to the courthouse, and this is when the prosecutor showed up, and Paul was informed that he was being charged with the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie. Ugh. So, the handwriting test was used against him in his trial, <laughs> specifically the test where he was dictated to, not copied directly. Oh, interesting. Perhaps because they didn't want to necessarily say he was copying by sight, but instead... Something mm -hmm. that was a little bit, st still still a problem, obviously. Yes. Paul ended up failing his polygraph test, and his ex-wife Karen testified that Paul was the writer of the Circleville letters. What the his hell? Karen and Paul were, at this point, divorced. Ah. Paul had been awarded custody of their three children. Oh. And Karen was living in a trailer in Mary's backyard. So Karen did have a motive to frame Paul. She also had access to Paul's gun, and she was not able to produce other evidence that she previously claimed to have against Paul, mm -hmm. like unsent letters that Paul had written. Paul's manager testified that Paul was not working on the day that the sign and the booby trap were found by Mary, but Paul did have alibis for that day. The problem was, he never took the stand at his own defense. Yeah, most don't. 
So it's usually a bad idea. So with Karen's testimony, the gun, the failed polygraph test, and the handwriting test used as evidence, he was convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to 7 to 24 years in prison. Oh, okay. So Paul is in prison. But the letters kept coming. Bum, bum, bum. Included in the writer's targets was Judge Klein, the prosecutor in Paul's trial, accusing him of getting a school teacher pregnant and murdering her. (laughs) Perhaps Paul was writing the letters from inside Mm. prison still. But no, the, the, the prison was ensuring that he was not writing the letters. He was placed in solitary confinement and he wasn't allowed paper or pens. Well, and normally too, when you're in prison, you lose the right to privacy. So most of the time, uh, the way it's supposed to work is anything that a prisoner sends out or has sent to them is read before it gets to the recipient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his his mail was restricted. Mm-hmm. A- every precaution was taken so that if he was if he had a a need to write these letters that he should not be able to. Right. Also, the letters were still postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, (laughs) but Paul's prison was in Lima, Ohio. Mm. So there was no way for him to be sending these letters. Paul was still, Paul was up for parole seven years into his sentence, but since the letters were still coming and with more frequency leading up to the week before his parole hearing, um, and despite being a model prisoner, well, everyone thought that Paul was the writer, that he was still the writer. Right. Despite the reasons that I just laid out. <sighs> so he was actually denied parole because of those letters that were still being sent. A few days after that parole hearing, Paul himself received a letter in prison. And it read, Now when are you going to believe that you aren't going to get out of there? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay up. You don't listen at all. No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? What? Mm-hmm. So mocking him of, you know, not getting parole. Right. Yeah. So finally in 1993. <laughs> Finally, in 1993, the letters stopped. Paul was finally granted parole after after serving 10 years um, that same year, and also the same year that the TV show Unsolved Mysteries decided to do a story on the Circleville letters. Before filming, the show received what? A Circleville letter. Are you serious? I am serious. Oh, that's fun. It read... Forget Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay. El Sickos? El Sickos. So, Great. <laughs> you El Sickos will pay. A lot of people found that to be interesting choice of words. You the Sickos. But Robert Stack said, I'm doing the show. Do we need to explain who Robert Stack is, by the oh, way? Oh, God. I'm. Yeah, I mean, you would hope not, but yeah, that's probably a good idea. If you're listening to this show and you don't know who Robert Stack is, he was the host of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, a fantastic host. <laughs> Beautiful voice. Iconic. 
Yes, very, uh, very, very iconic. Um, he, he he brought some uh, legitimacy to a show which was otherwise um, a bunch of silly recreations. <laughs> I loved that show as a kid, but I think that's kind of um, kind of the vibe, the silliness of the recreations would be enjoyable for a kid to watch. Like I've gone back, they added, I want to say it was on Netflix, they have like some of the older episodes and I went back and I watched them and it was, it's a time capsule, man. It's something. It's very silly. It's <laughs> it, 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 Well, it can be silly. It does not mean to be, but no. it's very much a product of its time. And I think uh, from what I recall, at least of the 90s, extremely silly. An extremely silly time. It, it was. It was. It. It comes across as sillier than it was intended to, it, for sure. The the whole decade. So I watched this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> and I found a few details that I hadn't heard anywhere else. Um, but one big thing that the show mentioned while doing their investigation was a witness that the defense at Paul's trial they they had never called, despite hmm. making herself available. So the, she was found by journalist-turned-private investigator Martin Yant, who uncovered a lot of information about this case. That name sounds familiar. I listen to too much true crime, I think. He probably comes up. I'm sure he does. A fellow bus driver was driving down the road, the same road that the sign and booby trap were found, 20 minutes before Mary found the sign. And she saw in that same spot that the sign was found a yellow El Camino parked on the side of the road and next to it, a tall man with sandy hair standing hmm. there. When the man saw her come, he, he turned around as if to pretend he was relieving himself uh, and also hiding his face in the process. Uh-huh. The description of the man did not fit Paul Freshour at all. And Paul apparently had a good alibi for that time of day. So it was very unlikely that the man seen was Paul. But there was no attempt to follow up on this lead, (laughs) which would have been helpful in Paul's trial. Mm -hmm. And if police had looked into this, they would have found that an individual very closely related to the case had a brother who also had a yellow El Camino, Paul's ex-wife, Karen. What the world, Karen? So many people believe that Karen set up Paul as revenge for the divorce but, you know, this is only speculation because to this day, there has never been any arrests related to the writing of those letters. And she's just willing to kill Mary in the process. Or did she know that, like, well, I guess we can't say, oh, did she know this? Did she know that? Because we don't actually know that she did it. But, like, come on. That's right. We don't know. Mm. So Paul maintained his innocence up until his death in 2012. And he made a website all about the Circleville letters. And the website still exists. Ooh. It's Circleville Letters at Word sorry, Circleville Letters dot WordPress dot com. Nice. Now this website has a lot of information. One PDF is 164 pages long. Oh my god. And it's a letter to the FBI requesting an investigation be opened into Ron's murder. Right. Which you recall he was doing way back when. Oh yeah. The opening of the the letter says this. I am asking that you get involved in my former brother-in-law's murder because I believe it was a murder and covered up by the sheriff of Pickaway County. And then he explains that the content 
he explains the content of the document, the exhibits he has, etc. And then it continues. I was sent to prison because of a series of obscene and threatening letters that had the county in panic. I did ten and a half years, and the letters continued undisturbed and uninterrupted just as always. I believe a majority of the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters were true. And I am asking that the obscene and threatening letters also be investigated and cleared up completely. Huh. So Paul then has a list of facts about the letters and the writers that he feels gives a good reason as to why an investigation is still warranted all these years later. He accuses Sheriff Radcliffe of concealing the letters because it would interfere with him becoming the president of the National Sheriff's Association. He also mentions uh, something in here that I had not seen anywhere else during my research. He says that the letters often would contain arsenic poison. What? And every letter constituted an attempted murder. Oh, my God. But again, this is the only time I ever heard that accusation. And no indictments mm. were ever made. So, Right, yeah. I feel like that's probably something people would mention. So later on, Paul claims that the affair between Gordon Massey and Mary Gillespie was real and occurring at the time that the letters started. He gives a lot of details about why they would or where they would meet up, where they would have drinks, and a few other specific encounters, including including this. And I will read from the document. On the night of Ron's murder, Mary Gillespie and my wife were on their way to Florida with two other women. These women will swear in court of law that they were told Gordon Massey would be there. They informed my lawyer of this. The PDF goes on to make claims about how Sheriff Radcliffe and Judge Klein were hiding evidence for personal gain, and he is the one holding up any further investigations into this letter. He also accuses his ex-wife, Karen, of setting him up and writing the letter to Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> but it's a massive document that sometimes reads like a man who has an entire conspiracy figured out in his head. Right. And other times it reads like ramblings. He had ten and a half years to think about this. He's probably got a lot to say and maybe not all of it is super grounded. It's a bit difficult to get through. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of information if anyone wants to go and find it. And it's still there. Uh, 10 years later, which is, which is very interesting. So do you know, well, I guess if we're not entirely sure how much of this is like a legitimate info dump and how much of it is maybe like I've been locked away for 10 and a half years, but how would he have had the information about these are the dates she met with Massey. Here's where they would go and meet up. Like, was she telling Karen all this and Karen was telling him or... We don't know. Mm. I don't know. So we don't even know if those things were true. We don't know if those were true. Wow. Okay. They may be true. Right. Because he says that um, that, that his witnesses would be willing to testify to right. that truth. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that he got all this information after being released in 1993. Okay. He just was gathering as much information as he could. But again, we don't know. Um, but I just wanted to go ahead and circle back on some of the people involved in the story. You wanted to circle back? I wanted to circle Bill back. 
some of the people that the uh, Circleville writer had made accusations about. Okay. So Mary Gillespie's affair with the superintendent was possibly true at the time of the letters, but not confirmed. Dr. Ray Carroll, the coroner who claimed uh, Ron's blood alcohol level was twice the legal limit and was accused by the writer of being a child molester. Mm. Well, in 1993, Ray Carroll was charged with 12 counts of gross immorality, sex crimes, corruption of a minor, pornography, obscenity, and indecent exposure. Oh, my God. The writer has also made accusations about Paul's prosecutor, Roger Klein, stating that he was having an affair with a school teacher and that he murdered her mm. when found out that she was pregnant. Right. Now, this accusation doesn't have um, any evidence, but it's chilling consider the other, considering that the other two accusations above were true. Right. Oh, yuck. Uh, David Longbury. You remember the male school bus driver who was the initial um, the suspect? Yeah. Um had originally been suspected of writing the letters all the way back in 1977. He raped a child in 1999. What the fuck? And then committed suicide while on the run. Good. Some believe that David may have truly been the original writer because he had a pretty good motive and being a fellow bus driver who was accusing Gordon Massey of inappropriate relationships with his fellow drivers. Not to mention the romantic interest that he had in Mary, who was upset with and probably got jealous of Gordon Uh, having a relationship with her instead of him. Also, when they sent the letters back when the story started, telling him that they knew he was the writer, the letters did stop. Oh, that's right. Yeah. However, the group also consisted of Paul and Karen. So if either of them were the actual writer, they may have just chosen to stop writing the letters at that same time, casting a reasonable blame on David. Right. Many people think that David also wrote the original letters and then they took a life of their own. There may have been multiple writers throughout the years imitating the style and sending out their own threats and rumors anonymously. Copycats could have been uh, keeping the tradition alive all the way up to 1999. Sorry, 1994 is when. But this doesn't explain why the letters stopped once Paul left prison. That is an odd detail, yeah. And that is the story of the Circleville writer. Are you we, kidding me? We still have no idea with certainty who the writer <laughs> is and likely never will. Ugh. Because Gordon Massey died in 1996. Paul Freshour died in 2012. Mary Gillespie died in 2020. So most of those involved have passed away, wow. which leaves the trail even colder. But it's a fascinating story with so much evidence, so much that happened and not really enough answers to be satisfying. That is so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening and spending your day with us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram for more content. We're Fantastic H Pod on both. That's Fantastic, the letter H, pod. Or you can reach us by email at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm-hmm.